Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Winston. How are you guys Good. doing? Fine. Yeah, it's a nice Monday. How are you, Vince? Doing well. Doing well. Um, so let's just kind of get right into it. You know, we are uh, starting this podcast and a little bit who we are. We all work for Marketing Evolution. And what we want to do here is talk about marketing and how it's relevant to companies and businesses and how it's relevant to you and, and your business and, and, and your sizes. Uh, we're going to talk about topics that demystify marketing claims and give value to you guys, the listeners. And that's our that's our aim and our goal here. So we're going to have various topics that come, come about and we could definitely use feedback from you listeners, like leave comments if there's something you guys want us to to address and talk to, and we will, we'll get to that. Um, so with that, you know, we're gonna get right to it, to the first question that we're going to address today. And Steven, I wanna start with you. Um, this question is, what is marketing attribution? You know, How would a person go about believing that their marketing is working? And you know, maybe more importantly, how do they think about explaining it to others? You know, Cause it is, it is a big topic, and I think that's a big task asking you that, but I think it's a good place to start. You know, what do you think marketing, you know, what is your experience, your, you know, your path with marketing attribution and, and, uh, you know, how does someone go about thinking about it? Yeah, so um, that's a really great question. Um, and I should have a really great canned answer for that since I've been working in that space for, um, I think it's eight years now, but uh, I don't have a canned answer. Um so, you know, as I think about marketing attribution, I mean, it gets back to like, you know, the, like at the end of the day, what any marketer is, is trying to accomplish. And, you know, it's important to, I think, to recognize that, you know, a marketer isn't just an advertiser. That's different. It's a marketer, someone taking something to market. They're trying to sell a product, a service, something, right? They have some end result they're trying to accomplish. And um, a way that they frequently do that is they do invest in advertising um, in order to amplify their message. Um in order to um, to generate um, awareness of their brand or their product, uh, but but where it's always been hard um, and continues to be difficult is to understand how a dollar invested in uh, uh, sorry distraction there for a second um, uh, how a dollar you know invested in, in some advertising channel pays off down the road and some in whatever end result they're looking for I think. In most cases, that probably is some type of a transaction from some end customer. Um, that's not always the case. You know, you've got nonprofits that are trying to get people to do things. But anyway, long story short, you know what marketing attribution does is it is it is it reveals in an ideal state. It would re reveal the impact of 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 marketing on some you know behavior uh, or attitudinal belief or something that occurs downstream. Um, uh, and there are a lot of technical solutions that have been developed over the years to do that, um, that I'm sure we'll get into later, but yeah, that's my long-winded circuitous answer. You might kind of go into that bit though. Like, you know, what have you observed and in, in, in attempts to address what is attribution? What does it look like? Just kind of a, a, a brief sure. uh, history of what you have seen, observed in, in your, in your career. Well, I think like historically up until really gosh, probably less than five years ago, maybe even three years ago, attribution was something that was that was always done in in um I'm gonna call it like a, a human driven pseudo black box where there would be 
you know, either a marketer would have a team of analysts or um, I hate using the phrase data scientist because it's just a very vague term that means a lot of different things. But that's a lot of times what people may be called um, or data scientists or they would hire a firm that that has that um, that would essentially take in all the data they get their hands on um, and try to build some kind of a um, a model using you know their understanding of statistics in order to try to recover some explanation of reality. And then with that model, they would usually build a PowerPoint presentation that highlights some takeaways from said model. And they would show that to, um, to people making marketing decisions and say, our model says you should do this, not that. Um, uh, you know, that's, I think that's kind of been the historic case. Now what those underlying models are, you know, those, those differ on um, their different approaches to get there. But that, that's I think that's what the the use case used to look like a lot was this you know it was uh white glove delivered presentation packages to a decision maker of some type um I think that's changed some there there are companies um that 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 came along and you know it has been longer than three years because I I definitely know of a company that was that had an automated product before then um and uh there are other companies that, that have come along now and now it's becoming much more popular for there to be some kind of a some type of pseudo autonomous measurement system that has a dashboard that a customer can go in and there are widgets they can play with they can move sliders around they can they can figure things out and, and there's a lot of different offerings out there now that are providing various different flavors of i'm going to call it media measurement because i don't think they're all really attribution but measuring the impact of media downstream thank you thank you um now winston if i could you know kind of pull you in like you know thoughts on marketing attribution kind of and, and then kind of the same thing like your own path and what you observed and um kind of give us give us that experience that look so if we start at um what is a, a marketer charged with it's basically you have a set of tools and you define the best way to um to use those tools, meaning uh, in economic terms, what's the best next dollar to invest in? Uh, and then also finding new tools, so new avenues for investment. Um, and <clears throat> it's, so it's kind of it's kind of strange that if given that that is the like the reason of being for a marketer that something like attribution would come up as the solution for trying to achieve those goals because attribution doesn't really do that the way it's been presented in the past. Um, you know, you could argue that, that attribution as a as a um, a product space has been around for ten to fifteen years, or maybe you could say that it's really just an extension of the longer marketing mix modeling um, uh, domain that's been around for forty. But uh, these are at best giving you an idea of how you did in the past, and not really giving you anything um to work on 
in a first order economic kind of sense to tell you how to spend your next dollar the best. And the reason they're not doing that is because it really takes some sort of um, uh, decision support application that utilizes the calculus of microeconomics to tell you how to spend the dollars the best. Um, and just using historical reporting out of marketing mix or attribution with maybe some statistics about how efficient on average a media is or average effectiveness, um, these things are just statistics. They don't really tell you anything about what the next best choice is for your dollar investment. People confuse this idea. They think that that's telling them what they're supposed to spend in next, but it's really not. Um, you know, the, the most efficient media is not necessarily uh, the best investment on the margin. So, hey, Winston, so I think that that was, that, that was an outstanding um, explanation of, of the limitations of something like attribution. And like, would you liken it to, you know, I mean, I'm going to assume that most people have at some point invested in a single stock in the stock market. They bought a share of Apple at some point or something like that. Um, you know, would it be the same as my wife and I are sitting around the kitchen table and we've, you know, we found an extra, you know, we, someone got a thousand dollar bonus or whatever. We're going to put that in the stock market and we can just open up the newspaper and look at the, I don't know if they still have stock sections of the newspaper, but they used to. And I'd look at them when I was a kid, I understand what the hell they were. Um, or we go to, you know, uh, you know, some other, you know, every, I think every search engine has a stock ticker and allows historical reporting. So attribution would be akin to us looking at, hey, this is how this stock did over the last several years, and we're going to compare a whole bunch of them um, and using that to make a decision, um, which, you know, people do. And it's like, and, and in a lot of cases, they're not wrong to do that, right? I mean, Apple's a good example of one that their historic performance is probably fairly predictive of their future performance, um, maybe not. But but it isn't really, the reality is, is that I'm at a point in time just looking backwards at something and I'm not taking in, I'm not really necessarily putting my dollar in the next best place because I'm, I don't have any of this line to really project that forward. Is that, is that what you're saying? Right. So the, the thing that's pretty clear about securities investments is that there's, there are risk profiles that vary by the different types of investment. Um, and so when you sit down with your portfolio advisor, they talk to you about your personal risk profile. If you're young, maybe you have a greater appetite for risk. As you get older, you tend to think that you become more risk averse. Um, and so you, you develop your portfolio based on what your personal risk profile is um, for your given point in life. And so you put together a basket of investments similar to the basket of um, media investments that a marketer makes. And you do so um, with some understanding of the risk and return of, of each of those investments. What your portfolio manager does is they figure out the total risk and return conditional on all of the investment vehicles. And that's what you're looking for in a, um, a decision support application is something that can appreciate the whole basket of investments that you're in and how the dynamics of the, each of those risk and returns 
um, will work together so that you're not just making some, you know, uh, boneheaded move like picking the Reddit Wall Street bros advice on the next thing to invest in and, you know, uh, unwittingly just tossing that into your portfolio without understanding what the the full um, uh, dynamic of, of your uh, risk potential is. You're saying I should get out of GameStop then. Is that correct? I don't know. It might be too late. I'm not sure. I haven't been following that. Take a look. I have to look into that later. So then, so then I think that like, so if I think about it, you know, like uh, my mother-in-law has a financial advisor who's someone who makes a lot of money off of her little bit of money. Um, And essentially attribution is something that would maybe help us independently look at the effectiveness of that um, financial advisor over time in the past or whatever, maybe, but it's not like, it isn't something that, that helps us figure out what to do next. That requires someone actually you know, doing more with that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, um, it is basically akin to having your, your personal um, investment portfolio quarterly summary, you know, come in the email inbox to you and telling you what your, average rate of return was over that period. You know, conditions are going to change tomorrow. Um, they could change in the marketplace. It could change for you personally. New opportunities could come up. And so just basing your next move on what you did yesterday is not going to be the right thing to do every time. Um, Can I ask you guys, like, because you know attribution and kind of going through the outcomes of how how to go about you utilizing that knowledge because I feel like that knowledge is there, but how to go about how best to go about and act upon it. Like in your experience, have you seen um, was it that a company you know you know it's just like if we could imagine say like a company that's like you know they you know a bit of a startup maybe a mid sized company and they're making these decisions on marketing. And how they would go about, like, you know, choosing the next best dollar. Think about portfolio. Um, we could talk about other different sizes if it is relevant, but like, you know, maybe a good place to start. And you know, what do you guys think? And maybe your experiences anecdotally of how how have you observed that? Well, I mean, the thing for any firm to think about is um, who their shareholders are and what they're doing to maximize value for those shareholders, because that's ultimately what we have, why we have jobs. Um, and so if you're a medium-sized firm, you may not be publicly traded. You might be privately held by, um, could be by a larger corporation or it could be held by principals, <clears throat> maybe VCs or something like that. Um, <clears throat> so then it's, it, you have to think what is the the risk profile of of the shareholders and what are we doing to be able to maximize the return for them um now in you know uh, a firm that's a medium size and you know maybe they've been around for a little while in a product market space that is um, not quite mature yet. Uh, there's a lot of growth opportunity there. And so you can, um, uh, 
typically find yourself taking a little bit bigger bites um, uh, to make a mark in the market in in, in the marketplace. Um, you know, is this bigger bites? Can you expand? Like, what do you mean by that? Like, yeah, I guess if we could, you know, kind of drill down to a bit more. Yeah, so you can get example. more aggressive with um, testing into new uh investment positions i mean that's the, that's ultimately what you want to do right you you have you're a firm you've you're selling something you've got a marketing program in place so based on the current mix you have some um next best move to make with those dollars but you can also test into new positions that's what we want to think about as investment professionals is testing into positions because there's no clear market price for these marketing investments that we're making. The only way to figure out the right price is to test in and observe what sort of returns you get. And by testing, we mean like small, you know, steal a phrase from personal finance, dollar cost averaging into something. Um, but you need a, a good um, decision support application that you can constrain in such a way to say, okay, I'm going to freeze all of, I, I'm going to hold steady on all of my investments as they are currently, but I'm going to test this new um, uh, hypothesis that I have on this one particular piece of media. And I want to understand what an expected return is for that. Um, and so you keep doing that as a, a medium, you know, growth oriented kind of firm, you can afford to take bigger, um, uh, um, make bigger steps into your testing um, because, well, for one thing, you're not having to deal with the political uh, problems that exist in much larger corporations that have, um, you know, maybe publicly traded uh, shareholders and um, board of directors that, you know, expect a particular earning, earnings per share to come in every month or every quarter. I feel like I like go down a bunch of different uh, paths with that. But Stephen, before I do that, or is there any, you know, any thoughts on your experience on how, how a, a medium-sized company would kind of like utilize this knowledge of Marketing attribution, because um, because even then, like you know, just to say marketing attribution is a uh, such a it's a it's a really important term. Yet, like the application of it and how they want to think about it, and we kind of hear about you know how to test, but then like specifically what what you would want to do with that. Well, so for me, I mean, I kind of go to I kind of go to the internal politics of a company, and you know, Winston alluded to some of that with larger corporations. They're going to move slower. There's going to be more risk if you're a public traded company. There's certain things you just can't do um, without creating a whole um, major issue for yourself. And I think one thing, like at a medium sized company, I'm picturing like a pretty small leadership team um, where there's some head of marketing, whether they're called a CMO or a VP or whatever, who is probably hands-on doing a lot of the actual decision-making. Um, and they probably find themselves frequently in conflict with whoever the head of finance is. I mean, that's something that, um, that's, I think, a well-known dynamic that um, that the the, the mar marketing and finance are in conflict for dollars. Finance tends to be in conflict with everybody for dollars because their job is to try to conserve cash as much as possible, usually. Not always, but a lot of times it is. 
and at a medium-sized company, I'm, I'm envisioning, you know, a startup company that's either bootstrapped or, or, or backed by angels or ventures and, and, you know, has a limited runway and is trying to get as far as they can with, with whatever they have. Um, and I think that that's, that's another place where attribution kind of comes into play is that not beyond the ability to test into these new investments, it does also offer the ability to quantify the 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 ROI the return on the return on the other investments to show that marketing is in fact working and be able to demonstrate something that um uh, in a in a defensible way that 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 is not always that that demonstrable I guess so um I mean that's you know that's a I know that's kind of a tangent going in a different direction but that's something that that I do think is is important in a lot of places and that's the place where that that, that that backwards look does become valuable is, you know, in the boardroom, for example, you know, when the leadership team is giving a presentation, uh, the head of marketing is able to say, we invested X dollars in, we, you know, and and this is what we believe we got back out. And, and here's how we got that number. Um, so that, that, I think that's what was really interesting, what we got out, you know, and just like talking about that. And I think, I think there's a lot of solutions out there, you know, and we've sure. probably all experienced various solutions. And how would someone go about trusting, you know, like believing in what, what's coming out, you know, because uh, I think people have uh, maybe different perspectives. You know, marketing has been out for a while. How would they go about trusting it? Or, or you know, some of the, some experiences you have, have felt where like maybe it's, it's, it's uh, something that, you know, looks right, is accurate, but is not taken also, maybe not accepted. And like, uh, how would you guys go about, you know, kind of building that trust or, you know, kind of like a sharing that knowledge so that you know, others can accept it. The best way to trust something is to use it. Agreed. And then, uh, you know, hopefully with something like this, you make money using it. Um, but I think a lot of, folks in the industry um, get caught up with developing trust in these sorts of solutions based on how it paints the picture of your sunk cost decisions, which is not the right way to do this, Very but dangerous. it's probably the predominant way that it's done. Does the vendor- Can you, can you say that again, like in another way, Wesley? Because I feel like that's an important point. Yeah, so Stephen, it's basically does the vendor make is the vendor making my baby look pretty, right? I'm coming into this as a um, I, I partner up with this attribution vendor. I've already made a bunch of decisions that are in place in the market in the market. Um, I thought that they were they were the best decisions I thought I could make at the time. Else, I would have made some other decisions. So uh, too many people are going to get caught up with how good the, the vendor describes how my previous actions have helped the company. Um, and that's a, I mean, that's a flaw in, in this industry it's a flaw in human nature, but a lot of it's driven by people who don't really know any better because they were, they never got trained in the right way to think about how to 
evaluate um, these types of products um, or to even think about how to make the right next decision or what it takes, what sort of metrics you need as a, as a decision maker to evaluate whether you're improving. And that's really what it comes down to is, okay, the CMO can walk into the boardroom and say, I got, you know, uh, 10% return on my investment last quarter. And by all accounting, that might be a good, that might be a good return, right? I mean, it's probably exceeds uh, um, most companies internal rate of return and it probably, you know, exceeds what um, uh, an investment manager is going to make for you in the stock market for a quarter. Um, but what does that represent in terms of the opportunity that you had to take money out of the marketplace that would otherwise go to your competitors or just to nothing? And that's really the right way to think about how well you're doing is how much opportunity you continue to take out of the marketplace month over month, year, quarter over quarter. Um, but unfortunately, everybody thinks about this in terms of, well, does the contribution of uh, to sales that this vendor says my media has, is that congruent with what my expectations are and what my manager's expectations are? What the ex what what expectations we have communicated previously to executive stakeholders? That's the trap that people fall into almost all the time. So with that, just switching up a little bit. Steve, I'm, oh, sorry. Did you have something? Did you want to go? I was going to say something. Yeah. I mean, I think that sorry. like to Winston's point, I mean, I, I this is something that I, I think that everyone in our space has probably seen, uh, uh, I don't know, countless number of times. And, you know, it's like the, the idea, like data driven decision making is, this, you know, it's a very popular phrase that has been around for I don't know, at least a decade, 15, 20 years out. And I feel like I've been hearing it forever. Um, but unfortunately, I do think that people find themselves and, and I think it's through no fault of their own frequently in a situation where, um, you know, they feel that their job hinges on the ability of them to make decisions in a vacuum and those decisions be 100% correct for whatever reason they believe that to be the case. And so they no longer are looking for data to help improve their decision because odds are these marketers actually made okay decisions to start with. They didn't make the worst decision possible. They didn't make the optimal. They also did not make the, what's the opposite of optimal? Like worst, we'll go with worst. There's a fancier word I'm sure, but I'm gonna go with worst. They did not make the worst decision possible either. Um, they're in the middle somewhere. And, and that's where data can help drive making a better decision as you continue to iterate and get stronger and stronger. And that's, but they, they find themselves in this place where instead of, looking for data-driven decision-making tools, they look for like, you know, basically tools to confirm their their preconceived notion, like bias confirmation tools, basically, is what they, they tend to want at the end of the day, because that's what they think they need is to get a checkbox on, on, you know, on the test that they took. And they didn't even like, they didn't have a calculator to help them on the test. You know, they're doing long division and I don't know, there's an analogy there that I'm not going to try to spin out, but there's something there, but I don't know, rambling at this point, but you, to, to make it, it real it, though, can can when you guys like share like an actual story with no names, obviously, but like you know, just an experience where where like you know, say that a person maybe was uh, um, 
a general, I got a general example that this applies everywhere. And I've talked about this with other people and there's nothing against, um, well, I'll just share it. So uh, uh, somewhere that, that I think we see friction, like almost every time someone sees results. And I think this is true for any kind of um, multi-touch solution or, 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 or marketing mix solution is the paid search team, the paid search team, if they exist in a company, they tend to look at what's called last touch attribution, where that assigns all credit for some, be it a web visit or a sale to whatever the last thing the person saw, clicked, did was, which, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like when I go to ESPN.com, I don't type in HTTP colon backslash bachelor. I don't do that. I just type in ESPN into my search bar, which automatically searches for ESPN. I'm then served a paid ESPN search ad at the top, probably, which I may or may not click on, depending on whether I want to charge that company money for me to come visit them or not. And, and then I go to ESPN, but I didn't go to ESPN in any way because of that. However, that's a place where we frequently see friction where, where, you know, the, the preconceived notion of, of how strong that media is driving sales. Um, it, it's hard to overcome because that team and, and they have these metrics that they're pulling historically. I don't think that this actually Google, I think has deprecated that measurement now, but Previously, they were pulling that out and they're saying, look, we're driving 95% of web traffic, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, I mean, that's a general example that I think is experienced everywhere and um, leads to internal strife in most marketing teams. And it shouldn't come as a surprise that last click attribution uh, awards paid search so much because paid search is the thing that awards Google. It, it's the single best thing that that company does. Um, and so they're bound, it's almost a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, that your performance is going to look good through the lens of last touch, last click. Yeah. So if I could pose like another scenario to you guys, like, <clears throat> you know, we know that our these marketing teams are under pressure to deliver, to perform, you know, uh, you know they, and they have to manage vendors and agencies, creatives. They, there's a lot going on and there's pressure to deliver. Um, you know, what type of advice or, you know, how, how should they go about thinking about their marketing, their approach to kind of not necessarily like squash the pressure or their concerns, but to help address, say that concern, but also deliver the best value. Like how would they go about approaching it? Say if you have good examples, with certain customers or clients, because you know we know that they they have like they're getting paid to do this. They're getting paid to deliver, and they may be the person making all the decisions, or they may be person who's trying to uh, support the person making all the decisions. So, how do they go about trying to you know, you know end the day work with their company to deliver? You know, because with attribution, you kind of have an understanding how how marketing works. How would they kind of then deal with those dynamics? So, I mean, I'm going to answer from one point of view, which is my, my background is in is primarily in, in the management of technical teams, product engineering teams, right? And, and the reality is, is that that no software developer is perfect. No no employee is perfect. But, um, you know, bugs happen, right? People introduce bugs in the code. People, there's all kinds. I'm not going to get all the, all the things that someone could do wrong as a developer. There's a lot of them, right? Um, at the end of the day, as a manager, 
I I don't expect someone's first stab at something to be right all the time or, you know, or their quick stab. Like sometimes they're under, they're under the gun, they're under pressure. I recognize that they're not going to deliver as strong of a solution product, whatever they're doing. Um, if they're constrained either with, by some resource constraint and everyone has resource constraints, but if I'm constraining time and I'm also not providing them, you know, other resources then I don't expect a lot out of them. Sure. But what I do expect is that they continue to improve and they continue to grow and they continue to get better at what they're doing. So that's where something like attribution steps in. And, and I think that um, hopefully in a lot of companies, there's enough psychological safety for people to, to use tools like that and to say, hey, I think I did an okay job here, but it's going to be even better next time because I've been able to look back and see some places I made mistakes. I figured out some some new paths I'm going to take. To Winston's earlier point, hey, I'm going to run this experiment. We're going to try going into this new media that's like something like uh, like TikTok that like came out of nowhere a few years ago and took over all of the teenagers' phones in the entire United States and the world in, in general. You know, and like I'm going to invest there maybe. I'm going to do an experiment, and see how it works, and 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 go for it. I mean, I think that there's some of that right where. Um, where like accepting the fact that you're you're never right, like no one is ever 100% right, but it also doesn't mean you're wrong. Um, and you can iterate and you can get better at whatever you're trying to do. I mean, I, like, and that's true in like everything, sports, music, film, like, uh, you know, I don't know, everywhere. Like that is true. Like, the, like I don't know. I learned as a kid, nobody is perfect. And, and, and practice makes perfect is a ridiculous statement. But practice does make better and uh, iterating makes better and, and taking in data that's sitting in front of your face and, and using it to learn will make you better. Even if you disagree with it, like, even if you look at it and you say, this is flat out wrong, it still can help drive a decision. Uh, so I don't know. That would be my answer is. And I think just, Stephen, what he's, what Stephen's describing is the, are, are the characteristics of uh growth oriented individuals who are also in growth oriented firms and um like one of the maybe not too surprising things about uh a, you know a lot of larger firms is that the the personnel inside those firms they get wrapped up in growth up the corporate ladder and achieving that um, by, by basically demonstrating a risk averse, uh, type of, uh, you know, personal business policy. Um, what I mean is like more specifically is that, um, somebody comes into a position, they're shown that, okay, uh, this position it must fulfill these particular tasks. Here's what the report looks like. Here's what it looked like last time. If the result doesn't look pretty similar to what it was last time, there's going to be a lot of questions coming from the upper level of management. And then you're going to have to be able to explain that. Now, maybe you can't explain that, but what if the previous reporting was cooked up in some, you know, uh, Enron accounting shop um, where they're just cooking the books. Well, you're going to be kind of in trouble if you come up and show them that, well, actually everything that they thought they knew in the past was, was uh, 
uh, fallacious and, and, you know, now we have real measurement that can help us with growth oriented policies, but this, the firm really isn't about necessarily growth oriented policy. It's, it's more about maintaining particular, um, earnings per share guidance and, and at the end of the day, that's the 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 marketer is going to um, succumb to that kind of uh, political bureaucratic pressure that exists inside of a lot a lot of large organizations. I think unfortunately you're very right about that, and, and there's um, yeah, that's very unfortunate. But you know, people need to put food on the table, and they learn what they have to do to do that, right? Yeah. You know, just uh, you know, put some media numbers out there, like, you know, just for example, it's just like, say, like last quarter you spent $10 million on search, not to pick on search, but, you know, they saw that that, you know, uh, drove X number of sales. Next quarter comes around, spend the same amount of money, but it went down. And then that that's an example where you're talking about. Yeah. And so what's the story? I mean, did it go down because the whole marketplace shrink and there's just less opportunity to be had or did it go down because, well, we really realized that like we had all this other media running that we weren't thinking properly about. And it turns out that stuff was working for us and search was just getting the credit. Well, that's a tough pill for people to swallow, particularly because in these marketing organizations, um, careers are, are in place based on teams working on particular media categories or channels. And somebody's the manager of the search team or somebody's the manager of, um, of, uh, social or, or digital or offline or whatever. And as you said, Stephen, they're trying to put food on the table. Um, and for a vendor to come in and say that maybe there needs to be a reallocation, that's a tough thing for these people to hear, um, knowing that it's their livelihood at stake. So there's a, um, the, the there's a conflict between, you know, growing the business at a top level versus maintaining personal uh, career stability. Yep. That's, no, that, that's that, a powerful that, statement. Sorry, yeah. uh, sorry Stephen, go ahead. No, I, I was, you took words out of my mouth. That is a very powerful statement, and I, and I, I think it is very accurate. You know what's interesting? We, we talk a lot about numbers here, but uh, I feel like at a certain point, you got to talk about people and, and, yeah. and navigating that. Like how, you know, for, for a marketer, right, that, I think we kind of been talking a lot towards a larger marketer, like a larger budget. And when I say larger budget, probably like millions of dollars. We're talking a lot to that to that group. Um, um, I think probably the, yeah, that, probably the group that spends like north of fifty million a year. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you could, you know, kind of like you know, wave your special magical wand, you know, and you don't have to worry about calling babies ugly because I feel like that's what has to happen sometimes. But you know, how would you think about like a, a larger organization handling um, 
marketing decisions in a in a better way? Um, I think uh, so much of it starts with the way that the the marketing department is organized. Um, got to stop thinking about these marketing these media channels as uh, siloed opportunities for investment. Um, if you invest in one, it has an effect on how the others are going to perform. So decisions about these investments need to be made in a cohesive, centralized way um, so that everybody's bought into everybody's success and it's not pitting one channel's performance team versus another. Uh, the search team can help out the social team or the television team, you know, just as much as they can help themselves. Steven, same same type of question for you. No, I mean, I, I mean, I think uh, Winston the nail on the head there. I, mean, I think that it's, um, you know, it, and and look, I mean, it, not all large firms are created equal. Like, not all of them have like behave the same way. I mean, I, I've seen some very large companies that have an environment where they are able to have those conversations and they are able to um, to recognize that that the collective success is is the goal here, right? It's not, you know. Um, did the search team overperform? That means that money gets clawed away from the social team's budget or whatever. Like that, you know, that's that exists. There, there are plenty of companies that 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 absolutely operate that way, and and, and that's where I've seen success, both um, in them growing honestly better employees and them moving people up the ladder and 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 home growing some real talent um, and not having terrible attrition of of great talent. And then, and also marketing success. I mean, it's Winston's right. These things, they, there is a ton of interplay. Um, you know, if there wasn't, then no one would ever buy something like marketing mix modeling, which is all about how the mix works together to produce a result, right? Um, we all know that these things play together and that they influence each other. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there's that. And then, um, and you know the other thing too that I see, and, and this is this is not specific to marketing or even big organizations, but um, you know having a having alignment towards common and shared goals. I mean, I think that you know if you think about it, in a marketing organization, you've got like the paid search team, which you know at the end of the day, you know they're they're probably two really important things that they actually do. One is is some SEO stuff, right? They're making sure that when you search for Coca-Cola, for example, Pepsi doesn't pop up first, right? And the other thing is, um, is and 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 in doing that, they're basically protect protecting their their brand, right? They are doing that. Um, um, and then you know you can you know depending on where you are in your life cycle as a company, you know paid search can also help you do the opposite to someone else, right? It can help you jump in and take away, like if someone is searching for. Pepsi, Coca-Cola might come up first and they click Coca-Cola. I don't think people buy that online, but you get the idea. I mean, so I think that, you know, it, it's doing that. Well, while something like, um, um, you know, uh, out of home may be really driving just brand awareness or something because people aren't driving on the road and they see a sign and actually immediately take an action, right? You can't, you're in your car, you're driving. You can't, um, you know, unless it's pull off this exit and use the cleanest bathrooms on I-75, there's not much you can do. Um, so I guess at the end of the day, it's understanding the strengths and weaknesses of different channels, 
you know, and, and understanding what each, uh, what, what the goals could be for each of those channels, but more importantly, how they come together to one unified goal of what we're really trying to do as an organization. Um, and I think that a lot of times that gets lost where, where every team's being measured on different metrics um, and they're being measured on different outcomes. And that, that doesn't, while they produce some different outcomes, they can be unified. I think, I don't know. That's, I may have talked and, a lot about that last statement. I'm not sure. I, like it, organizations and the people in those organizations need to be realistic about um, what marketing's potential and what its role is for the firm, given where the firm is in its life cycle and where the product space is um, in its maturity. Uh, if you are operating in a very, uh, uh, you know, mature market, where people really understand the products well, and you are a uh, well-known brand, um, there may not be a lot of opportunity in the short run for marketing to get big ROIs. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't continue to invest in it because part of what you've been successful at is building up this goodwill in your brand that means a lot. And it, what it means is that there's a long run inertia that's going on that brings people to buy your, your products or services without a lot of incremental effect in the short run from media or marketing. But there's still a big effect of marketing on the long run. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if you can think critically about where you are with respect to the maturity of your product space in your own firm, then you have a better expectation about what the, the short run opportunities are for ROI for marketing. That's a different thing than the long run ROI, um, which is harder to measure needs more data. Like if I could um, put another scenario out there for you guys, you know, they, someone gets their attribution results back or they get a, they get um, an understanding of how it performed and it's not as high as they would like. Um, and they have to deliver that message to either their boss or stakeholders. Um, how would you kind of give arm them or give them you know, without seeing the data, you know, so this could be a tall ass, but like, how would you like, uh, uh, what would you try to tell them or share with them or give them the information so that they can share that information and not feel like they're going to get their heads bit off because it's not like the best news. Well, I mean, if you <laughs> totally depends on the, on the manager, right. Or just the leadership and not everybody has good leadership um it, if you don't you probably need to find another job um because a good leader shouldn't be biting your head off if you walk in with some like attribution number that says oh i you know things are down a bit all performance should be evaluated on how much you are growing um even if that growth comes through uh, a cycle of failures, like Stephen was talking about earlier. Um, that's the way to understand how, uh, that's the way to measure 
um, uh, performance growth. Um, so I would hope that most managers or leaders are able to understand that, but I probably not. So <clears throat> if it's just, yeah, I mean, I'm walking into my boss's office and it looks like average ROI is down year over year or quarter over quarter or whatever. Um, there's got to be some story for it. Either we didn't know what we were doing in the past and we we did all of that math wrong or the market conditions have changed for today. But let's think about what we thought as an organization those marketing those market conditions were going to be at this point. Um, and that's that's not the individual employee's responsibility to understand those the market expectations. Uh, that's the firm's responsibility. Um, at the firm level, everybody needs to be bought in about what they expect the market to look like at some point in the future. Um, and so if you, when you get to that point and your performance, your average performance is down relative to previous periods, you got to understand, is it down because we as a firm missed where we were going? We didn't understand what the right opportunity was for us at the, in the future periods. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Weston's once again, uh, right, uh, nail on the head there. Um, I mean, you know, when I think about, um, as a manager, you know, someone's coming to me with, let's call it unex unexpected news. I mean, that's, I mean, sure, it's maybe it's bad news, but coming to me with something I, I didn't want to hear, I didn't expect to hear it, right? I mean, what I'm going to want from them is I'm, as I'm going to need to, I likely do not understand at all where these numbers are coming from. I likely don't understand much about it. I just see this statistic and it's the ROI or whatever it might be. And so what I'm going to want to hear from that person is I am going to want to hear some, some story, some, something that helps me understand why this looks different. Maybe it could be as simple as we changed vendors. And so the measurement is slightly different because we're using a different methodology, which I mean, Winston kind of alluded to maybe we were doing our math wrong or, or we're just doing it differently. You know, there's different, there are different accounting schemes, right? There are different ways to do, to do things. Um, and also a plan to, um, to understand it further, a plan to take action off of learnings from this, you know, uh, you know, or, um, as well as, you know, um, an understanding of how I, as a manager, can can then communicate that to my boss or my boss's boss as it goes up the chain, and and if that needs to be done, and how to better set expectations. Because a lot of times things like this happen because expectations were set very poorly. I think back to what Winston was talking about a little bit ago, and we were talking about you know um, people in these different firms or whatever. You know, I think that there's got to be you need to be self aware about the limitations of what it is you're doing and what you can do. Um, you know, what, what opportunities really exist in the market. And then you need to set expectations as, re as realistically as possible about what your outcomes can be. Um, and I mean, we've had, we have, you know, I've heard people say some pretty ridiculous things. I've set crazy expectations for things like direct mail campaigns, which I'm sorry, in 2023, I don't read a single piece of mail that comes into my, in to, comes in my mailbox. Like I don't even read bills anymore because they're, I get them all digitally. If someone's still mailing me a bill, they're likely not going to get paid because I just don't read my mail. And I don't think I'm the only person that doesn't read my mail. And I and I sure don't, you know, look at marketing uh, communications that come into my mailbox. Now, maybe that's like a, 
just a, a middle age male thing, but I don't think so. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess that that gets back to that self awareness and setting expectations thing. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, ideally, a manager is not going to um, to rip your head off, but they they are going to want to hear a little bit more about what's going on and be able to understand it, and 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 they're going to want you to have a plan to move forward too. That's that's just a general rule of employment: is don't go to your manager with a problem and expect a solution necessarily. Walk in with a problem and a proposed path to a solution at the very least. Um, because uh, managers tend to have eight to 12 people that are walking in their, their, you know, virtual office door on a daily basis with problems. So that's another just piece of personal and career advice there for you. I feel like there's a lot of places that we could take this, but, uh, you know, one thing that kind of that you're touched upon seems like there's solutions, solutions, you know, in, in your guys' experience, you've had seen multiple solutions and I would think that not all of them are created equal. You know, you touch upon last touch attribution. You know, what do you guys think about the marketplace where we are right now with what is available? And why is it maybe, you know, maybe hard to digest for some of these folks to say like, yeah, you're telling me marketing's this, but can you, can I trust that? Like, is that, how'd you even measure that? You know, and I think, um, how do you guys, you know, uh, how would you guys like think about you know, we could say that, you know, disclaimer to the listeners, we all work for the same company, Marketing Revolution. We have solutions. We have seen multiple solutions out there. But I think it's so worthwhile to just kind of talk about what we also have observed because we also have seen, uh, we compete for different contracts. You see different solutions and you go to conferences. But just just uh, your thoughts on the solutions that are out there and how to comprehend them. Um. You know, it goes back to the the types of um, the profile of the the people and the firms that are going to use these solutions. Marketing data is bad data. Um, even when there was an abundance of user level data, it was never very good, um, and it was limited in its scope. Right, so. There's less of that now, the, but the marketing portfolios have grown in both in terms of volumes of dollars spent and numbers of media channels used, which complicates the situation because again, the data is bad. So there's limited, limited um, uh, opportunities to be able to use this stuff in a, a, a fast sort of growth oriented way, the, uh, the classic MMM shops have tried to speed up the, the game because they recognize that they have to compete a lot on, um, on being able to service growth oriented people as well as the like retrospective reporting types of folks who just need something once a quarter. Um, but the the main thing I think to, for evaluating these you know any sort of product in this space is if I want my organization to be able to grow, I need something that I can use and iterate on and fail fast with, and you know um, failing fast 
and being able to grow with something probably means that you need to um, uh, sacrifice a lot of the uh, overly exhaustive like academic uh, entertaining forms of solutions that are just oriented towards the the historical retrospective reporting. Um, find something that helps you fail fast and grows. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, you know, thinking about it from a practical point of view, you know, with any of these solutions, you know, the, the first job of, of whoever the stakeholders of the company that is bringing one or multiple solutions, you know, to the, to the team is going to be data wrangling, pulling together the data that's needed. Um, and getting back to Linus's point of failing fast, I think you're going to want something that you can get data ingested quickly. You can get some results out quickly and it can grow with you. It can let you add channels and, and continue to grow as more data either becomes available or you do move into other channels. I mean, if you're a startup and you're just in digital and social, you know, but six months from now, you're starting to invest in TV. You want something that will allow you to pull that in and continue to, to provide some, um, you know, um, uh, consistency in your measurement um, across that um, and let you get quick reads on these things. I mean, you know, Winston was speaking, gosh, I think in the first part of this conversation about this idea of, of testing investments, you need rapid feedback to do that too. And it may be a totally new data source that you've never touched before. Like I mentioned, TikTok is one that didn't even exist. I don't know, three years ago, I don't remember when it came out. And then all of a sudden everybody's putting money into it. So there's no way to have a measurement on it yet, but you want to be able to turn that around quickly and, and understand it. Um, and, and I, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it is, you know, the companies to ask themselves what they really want out of this. And so there are plenty of companies that really all they want and all they need is that quarterly retrospective and they're okay having a full-time employee that's entire job is wrangling together all of these data sources to hand off to someone who's going to build them this MMM shop, you know, several months after each quarter's end to let them know how they did, you know half a year ago for whatever reason that that might be that is that is a real use case and there are people that need that there are other people that need something that's on much faster because they're trying to make tactical decisions uh you know on a much shorter than a monthly cadence on a weekly bi-weekly cadence for example um and, and if you are the the type of profile that needs the that's looking to grow fast and needs something yesterday don't get caught up in believing that you've got to have everything, every marketing data stone unturned before you turn on your solution, before you try to start implementing. Get something, um, even if it's limited at first, get something going so that you can learn how to use it and how to be and, and how it, to let it influence your, your data-driven decision-making. Because, you know, the, the end of the day, you're, you're only as good as the decisions that you're making. And if you're just sitting around waiting to make decisions, you're really going to be uh, losing. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, I'm going to just say that this is great, great stuff. Guys, like for, for the listeners, like, you know, if you like what we're talking about, you know, and you, we're just, uh, we want to hear from you guys too, because we want to know what questions you guys have, what comments, oh, what comments you guys have, because we want to 
kind of build upon this. So like, like, subscribe, comment, give us some more information so we can kind of cater this to us and help us uh, go in the right direction. Because I think at the end of the day, we want to provide value for for the listeners, for 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 the folks that are in those positions where they have to make some marketing decisions or, or, or aspire to make some marketing decisions. You know, we talked a lot about kind of the bigger marketer, but, you know, if you guys tell us about your situation, you know, if you're in a smaller company or maybe you're just starting out, you're a mom and pop shop, you own a laundromat and you want to like get into, want to expand your base or something, you know, please let us know. We would, you know, happy to go in that direction too. Um, so with that, you know, I think we can continue going on, but before we do, uh, I think I want to start wrapping up like any last comments. I, I want to have one last question, but any last, you know, given what we have talked about guys, like anything that you guys want to, you know, tie a ribbon on and just like close off before I go into this last point. I feel like I'm supposed to have an answer. I don't, but Winston does. I can see him, him about to say something. Thank you. Um, I don't be realistic about the limitations in marketing data. Um, recognize that you don't need to boil the ocean um, and that the data is not even going to let you get, get close to doing that. Um, and that you don't need all of the data to paint a representative picture. Ultimately, all that's all you need to be able to do is to get representativeness. So this was kind of where I was going to go with since so you might have taken that already, but I was going to ask both of you guys, like, what's the easiest thing that you think that a marker or someone in that position can do or think of just to kind of move the needle, you know, not something that they have to like go out and evaluate a bunch of vendors and, and, and go through that whole process, but something easy that they can kind of take away from, from today and, you know, consider. I would say run an experiment somewhere. I would say like, you, you don't mean you can see outcomes without having a measurement tool in place. Like you can see web clicks, you, you know, you have access to that in Google analytics or, or sales. And I, I would say, if you suspect a channel, maybe underperforming, pull back on it in a market and see what happens. Just, it, you know, you may, at worst case scenarios, you do miss out on some sales, but you learn that you were wrong about that hypothesis and you put your money back in and then maybe you increase it. And either way you, you take it away valuable learning i think yeah i think if, if your firm doesn't already have a culture of experimentation then it's like the best thing you can do is to be a bit of a contrarian within the firm and start pushing experimentation yourself right you got to do that before you can do what i said apparently actually i think so we got you guys together. Yes, you got to change the culture, then run an experiment. So, yeah. Well, I think you, you, you know, just start running the experiments, maybe get permission. And then people recognize the the value and then the culture will change. And these experiments, I mean, really, there may be cases where you can get forgiveness instead of permission because these experiments don't necessarily have to be very costly. Like, like they are the kind of things yeah. that rounding errors can make for great experiments here and there. So, um, so, I mean, depending on who you are and where you are, I mean, you can pick one market and just, you know, accidentally turn off social in that market and see what happens. <laughs> um, that might be more than a rounding error depending on on the market. But I like how Steven's like pushing for uh, mistakes. <laughs> well, it gets, I mean, it's that, I don't know, it's fail fast. You're also going to find out really quick what kind of manager you have if you uh, ask forgiveness instead of permission on a very tiny 
mistake that led to some great understanding, right? That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. If you're a growth-oriented person, be realistic about the firm that you're in and you know, corporate ladder growth is not the same as like personal career um performance growth. This is true. You know, maybe one day we could start taking the, the perspective of uh, say your company is not growth. But yeah, maybe give us a comment. We can pursue that further. Um, so I thank you guys for your time, Winston Steven. Um, if you guys want more Thanks, information, Thanks, find us. It's fun. thank you. Thank you. If you want more information and you know, kind of find you know Winston Steven and, and kind of contact them, a good place to go is marketingevolution.com. And we'd be happy to help and you know, address them, address uh, more bigger questions there. But if not, leave a comment. And again, we'll try to cater this and grow this. And again, demystify marketing and give you guys value. Are we going to talk about cars next time? I hope so. Cars yeah. and guitars. Cars and guitars. Cigars. and Probably various. Quasars. Uh, oh, wait, that didn't rhyme. Damn it. I mean, darn it. Can I cuss on this thing? I think so. It's the internet. Okay. Or superheroes do that too. Yeah, it, it was spelled damn D-A-M. I was talking about an actual physical object that holds back water. Yeah. Not eternal damnation. Damn, I did it again. All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.